Today on Blue 58, there was no victory, real or moral, for the Packers in Buffalo. So what do you take away from a game like this? Well, there are precious few good things, and it's time for the Packers to face that. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. I feel like I skew positive most of the time. Something I have worked on as a person for a while. And as it pertains to Packer stuff, I think I try to, to generally keep it pretty upbeat. But after a game like this, I don't know if I can make you feel better. Because I think there's going to be a lot of conversation, and I've seen some of it already, about how even if the Packers were expected to lose this game, they played better than expected, and that it's something to build off of. I don't know if that's true, and I don't think it matters even if it is. First, the idea that they played better than expected. That might be true in the sense that, well, just in base facts, they, they beat the spread. It was Packer. It was bills by 11. When I made my picks on Thursday, the Packers only ended up losing by 10, but consider what it had to, what had to happen for the Packers to get it within 10. The bills turned the ball over inside the Packers 10 on a really bad interception from Josh Allen. It also would have taken a 55-yard field goal by Mason Crosby to make this a one-score game. And they only got the chance to do that because Josh Allen badly missed an open receiver on third and seven on the Bills' last drive. So yeah, it does end up being a 10-point game, because it, but it probably wasn't actually that close. The Bills were up 14 to nothing, 24-7, and 27-10 in this game. They were firmly in control. The final score says the Packers lost by 10. The story of the game is that the Bills were in control, start to finish. Saying the Packers played better than expected is not a whole lot in this one. And this game is really kind of the story for the Packers, too. They either lose big this season, or they win close, or just as often they lose close. They've got a 16-point loss to the Vikings on their record. They've got a 17-point loss to the Jets. They now have a 10-point loss to the Bills. That's bad enough. Three double-digit losses is not a mark of a good team. But on top of that, if you flip every game decided by less than a touchdown, the Packers are still 3-5. and five. Walk through it with me. They lost to the Vikings in Week 1. That one's not changing. A double-digit loss. They beat the Bears by double digits in Week 2 a good win. But they beat the Buccaneers by two in week three. So if you flip that, they're one and two. They're one and three if you flip the Patriots game. They're two and three if you flip the result of the Giants game. They're still two and four uh, through the Jets game because the Jets handled them pretty well. They're three and four against the Commanders, but then they dropped to three and five against the Bills. The Packers just are who their record says says they are. They lose big, and they've gotten lucky in a couple of close games and unlucky in a couple of, a couple of other ones. One-score games are basically a coin flip, and that's what the Packers have been. So to take moral victories out of this is, I think, a, a bridge too far for me. Because it's basically just been 
what we've seen from the Packers this year. On top of that, at 3-5, and five, their playoff odds are getting extremely long. And moral victories don't help you at all in the playoff standings. And finally, I'm not even sure there's all that much reason to get too excited about what went well in this game. Because I don't think it ultimately matters all that much for reasons I'll explain here in a second. You can look at the run game. You can look at some nice performances from Romeo Dobbs and Samori Ture. You can look at a couple of interceptions by, by the Packers' defense. None of that really did a whole lot to change the outcome of the game. Because running the ball, while great, is kind of exactly what the Bills would prefer the Packers do here. Great, you ran for 208 yards. How long did it take you to do that? Long, methodical, grinded-out drives are not enough in the NFL. And the Packers simply couldn't throw the ball, and the defense had to rely on Josh Allen throwing it up for him a couple times. Admittedly, nice plays by Rasul Douglas and Jair Alexander to even look like they were competent because the Bills had no problem moving the ball up and down the field outside of that. Let's talk about the three positives, though. Those are the three most positive things. The run game, very good. 208 yards on the ground is nothing to sneeze at because the Bills were giving up 72 yards a game on the ground coming in, and we got that. We got a lot of play for that in, in the broadcast. Tariko and Collinsworth talking about how this Packers run game, you know, they're really getting it down, done on the ground against the Bills, where we've been pretty good. And that is good. But ask yourself, what other reasons might there be that teams aren't putting up big rushing numbers on the Bills, other than their good defense? And why were the Packers calling 30 runs in a game where they were mostly down two scores? To answer question number one, teams just don't run on the Bills all that much because the Bills are often up pretty big and running yourself back into the game, look at the Packers, doesn't do all that much for you. To answer question number two, the Packers had to run so much, by necessity, they couldn't do anything else. Zach Tom was getting beat up one side and down the other, and nobody else could really pass protect reliably either. On top of that, they lose Christian Watson. Sammy Watkins still doesn't look 100%. And what's your receiving room outside of that? You've got Romeo Dobbs. You've got Samori Ture. You've got Amari Rogers. That's it. That was the receiver lineup on the field. No wonder the Packers ran so much. And the Bills, up two scores most of the game, are more than happy to let them. Because even if the Packers did run for 200-plus yards, how much did that make a difference on the scoreboard? 17 points for 200 rushing yards? Great. Well done. Didn't mean, didn't matter at all. Because the Packers couldn't move the ball quickly enough because they couldn't throw. On Dobbs and Ture, they combined for five catches for 90-90 yards. Really nice to see. Dobbs had a couple nice hands and body catches, like passes we've seen him drop before. Really good to see. Ture, 
works open on a deep shot uh, from Aaron Rodgers. Nicely done. Nice rapport with the quarterback there. Smart play. These guys should be getting reps, and you can only ask yourself what took so long. Why did it take until the middle of the season to unlock Dobbs to this extent and to get Teray on the field? And again, was that by necessity because they didn't have Christian Watson? We'll never know. But I think there's reason to not be overly excited because the Packers, even with those great performances, couldn't take advantage because they couldn't pass protect and couldn't throw the ball as a result. The interceptions, both of them fun. Rasul Douglas is, in particular, a great, great play on the ball. Also a terrible decision by Josh Allen going late over the middle. Jair Alexander, it just almost felt inevitable that he was going to get one at one point just because of the way that he felt all over the place in the, in the Packers' secondary. The only one, it seems. But ultimately meaningless because the Bills still put up 27 points with those two picks. The Bills didn't play as well as they could have in the second half and still put up 27, enough to beat the Packers by double digits. If you want to talk bad stuff, it all is kind of bad. So we don't need to get hyper-specific here. But the Packers run defense, again, leaving much to be desired. They got gashed again. And I'm starting to think, well, I'm not even starting to think. This is something we've talked about before. I think it's a personnel thing more than scheme right now, or at least as much as scheme right now. You've got Dean Lowry and Jaron Reed on the field. And they've made it pretty clear that they're not elite run defenders or even adequate run defenders most of the time. On top of that, you're leaving big bodies on the practice squad for apparently no reason. Guys like Jack Heflin and Chris Slayton played well in the preseason. On top of that, you've got a first-round pick in Devontae Wyatt who's just not playing. You really think he's going to be worse than Lowry and Reed? If nothing else, he's going to be next year, be here next year, and Lowry, I would say, for sure isn't. Who knows about Reed? Why not play the guy who's going to be here in the future? Just, I mean, if, if we start a list of odd decisions by Joe Barry, and perhaps to extension Matt LaFleur, the list is going to be long for 2022. But just not playing guys when there are bad guys ahead of them is near the top of the list, and Wyatt is in that group. Even if Wyatt is worse, again, than Lowry and Reed, there's pretty much no reason not to play him. You're three and five, three and four in this game. You're getting gashed in the run. At least try something different. You talk about the Quay Walker ejection. Bad for a couple reasons. First, don't get ejected, and he seemed pretty broken up about it. In uh, post game, seemed out of character for him. It also seemed pretty ticky tack. Uh, it, didn't seem like a lot going on there. Yes, obviously don't shove people on the sideline, but just a strangely officiated game. We could talk about the Robert Tunyon offensive pass interference, and we will, but shoot, that cost the Packers big. It was a big personnel blow for the Packers, given that Devondre Campbell also ended up exiting the game. Among many other things on the Packers' defense, that was that was disappointing to see. And then false hope is really the, the third bad thing I want to talk about here. 
I opened up talking about the perception of moral victories and having a problem with that. And I think that if the Packers are sitting there today, Monday morning, saying, you know, we did a lot of good things in that game. I think this team has lost the right to moral victories, if those even exist. And I don't think they do in the NFL. This needs to be a fact-based team. And right now they are 3-5. and five. They can't protect Aaron Rodgers. They don't have guys that can consistently get open. They had to run the ball 30 times in a game where they were down dib- double digits most of the time. And according to 538, they have a 17% chance at making the playoffs. Those are the facts. And the facts aren't pretty for the Packers right now. At 3-5 and five next week, they will head to Detroit. The Lions lost in Miami this week to fall to 1-6. and six. But the Lions want to run the ball. They want to play hard-nosed on defense. And they want to take care of the ball too. Which sounds a lot like some teams that have given the Packers problems this year. And if you think things look bad at 3-5, and five, how do you think you'll feel at 3-6 and six with a loss to the 1-6 and six and then perhaps 2-6 and six Detroit Lions on the Packers record? I don't want to make me feel particularly good, but nothing about this season has really, really done that for me either. So maybe it wouldn't be that out of line for the Packers to just lose again. We'll see. Want to add two more sections to our recap conversation here. I want to take a second in every recap show going forward to look at least in on how the Packers current rookie class um, performed in this game. And then uh, we'll take a second and uh, look about, look at the uniform matchup. We haven't talked about uniforms much in a while, but I think, uh, I think I want to dive into that. In, uh, in every recap pod. So we will talk about both of those things. So first, rookie rookie recap for this week. Uh, first to seventh round, starting with Quay Walker. Uh, he obviously was ejected, but prior to getting ejected, a couple of tackles and a forced fumble. He's starting to look a little bit more comfortable out there on the field, though I think he can still get suckered into some bad run fits now and then. Devontae Wyatt, no stats in this one. Didn't see him out there much, if at all. Christian Watson had a concussion on his only catch. Not great to see. Uh, Sean Ryan, active for this game. That's two weeks in a row, but didn't see him out there. Uh, May have gotten some reps on special teams. Zach Tom started at left guard, and he's probably the single reason why Aaron Aaron Jones had 20 carries and Aaron Rodgers only had like 13 throws during time that mattered uh, because he was getting wrecked early. He did not look like he was capable of pass protecting against a, an elite NFL defensive line. And it's probably why the Packers got away from the pass as much as they had to. J.J. Enochbari had two tackles for loss. Nice to see from him. He seems to make um, make a play on a weekly basis now. Uh, pretty clearly, I think, their third edge rusher now, especially considering they had Jonathan Garvin inactive for this game. Tariq Carpenter was active, had no stats. Rashid Walker Walker was active, but like Sean Ryan, it's hard to tell if he was on the field or not. May have gotten some special teams reps, if if anything. Uh, defensive lineman Jonathan Ford was inactive. And Samori Toure, of course, one catch for 32 yards and his first career touchdown. Good to see. Uh, he also had the drop just prior to um, the first career touchdown. But, hey, 
pretty solid start here for Ture through two weeks of, of really getting on the field. Uniform stuff. Packers on the road in their traditional white jerseys over yellow pants. The Bills in their what is technically an alternate for them, blue over blue. But they've only worn their quote-unquote official home uniforms one time this year, and that was on the road in Miami. Blue over white, I think their best look, but we've only seen it one time this year according to Gridiron Uniform Database to the Gridiron Uniform ba- Database. And if you haven't checked out that site, you should. Uh, just search for the, the Gridiron Uniform Database and um, just any any sort of information about who wore what and when that you could imagine or want, it's there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so just grading out this matchup on a scale of 1 to 10, I think this is like a 5 out of 10 for me. Blue and red and yellow and green all on the field together is not super pleasing, I think, Color-wise, blue and red versus primarily yellow is a lot. And the blue over white for Buffalo would have been much better to see. It would have been at least less blue. And uh, I think it was just a lot. Just a lot to look at. Not super pleasing. 5 out of 10 for me. Let's clear out the notebook and then call it good on this one for week 8 for your 3-5 and Green Bay Packers. If there is a bright spot on the Packers' offense... I don't know if I'd go enough, go far enough to call it one of the three good things from this game. But I feel like we saw Josiah DeGuara a lot in this one, which is good to see. I'm happy about that. I bet it's a season high in snaps for him or ends up being. Uh, that's not saying all that much because his previous high this season was 15. But the Packers seem to get him involved a little bit more. I was half expecting to see him carrying the ball at some point given how often they had him lined up in, in the split-back gun sort of looks with both A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. But good looks from him in that alignment. Good stuff from him as a traditional hand-on-the-ground fullback. Not super involved as a receiver. Would like to see a little bit more of that. But he's just active and doing stuff. And there aren't a whole lot of guys you can say that about on the Packers' offense right now. But Degora is willing to mix it up with anybody. He can do a lot of interesting things, and it seems like this was among his better games, if not this in his career in, in the season. Eric Stokes uh, ends up on the bench for a series in this one. I don't really know what to make of that, and apparently he didn't really know what to make of it either. He was quoted after the game as saying he didn't really know why that happened or the reason for it, uh, but he the, the exact quote was, I'll just leave that with Matt LaFleur. Uh, Tom Silverstein says he asked if it was something he said or did. Uh, Stokes resp- replied, I don't know. They just said, Stokes, you're out. So he leaves the game. Uh, Packers have Keyshawn Nixon out there instead. And uh, Stokes comes back on the field a little bit later. Character slash makeup stuff is something that we don't get into a whole lot on this podcast in terms of like pre-draft stuff, but I don't think it was ever a concern for him. So it seems weird and just kind of out of left field. Maybe it's just a sign of a three and five team. The stress gets to you after a while. And while that's something you never want to see, it would certainly be understandable. Um, Back of the offensive side of the ball, we mentioned in passing Robert Tunyon's offensive pass interference, super, super weak call. And also super hilarious, because if you look back on it, the defensive back has both his hands uh, right before Tunyon commits his supposed offensive pass interference. He has both his hands on the outside of Tunyon's shoulder pads, grabbing onto his shoulders. 
he is holding Robert Tunyon. And so Tunyon makes an effort to throw him off. And since the defensive back is smaller and weaker than Tunyon, he gets thrown to the ground. It looks like an OPI on Tunyon. Second guy gets caught, I guess. It should probably be two penalties on the first guy because you get embarrassed that bad, you should just get flagged just for getting embarrassed by being small and weak. And if you're getting thrown around by Robert and Tunyon, that's not to say that he's small or weak or anything, but among NFL tight ends, he is not one of the bigger ones. And if you're getting worked by a guy like that, you should probably get flagged. The defensive guy, not Robert Tunyon. Linebacker stuff. So the Packers end up with Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker out of the game for various reasons, an injury for Campbell, an ejection for Walker. We've talked in the past how it might not make all that much difference to go from like a C linebacker or linebacker room to like a B or a B plus. What about going from a B to like a D plus? Because the Packers went from Campbell and Walker to Isaiah McDuffie, and I had to look up his name, Eric Wilson. It wasn't great. And the Bills seemed to make a a priority of targeting them as soon as Walker and Campbell were out. They did some more lateral-oriented stuff, forced those guys to run and make run fits and things like that, and it, it it wasn't working. But that's really almost what you would expect as the Packers really without their top top three linebackers with Campbell and Walker and of course Chris uh, Chris Barnes on injured reserve. That's what you're left with. Linebackers four and five on the depth chart. Dems a break sometimes. Finally, I know in the grand scheme it doesn't make all that much difference, but I did love Jair Alexander's attitude in this game. He came, if you talk about the Packers defense, sometimes not feeling ready to play. I don't think there's any way under the sun you can say that would be true about Eric Stokes, or not Eric Stokes, about Jair Alexander in this game. Because as we saw on the broadcast, he was ready to bring it with Stefan Diggs from the moment the teams walked on the field. They're coming out of the tunnel together and Jair Alexander is telling Diggs about it. They're on the field. Diggs gets, or um, Alexander gets a pass breakup. He's telling him about it. Just relentless. Again and again and again. Coming back, hounding people. And backing it up. Not getting beat. Playing hard, playing fast, playing aggressive, playing physical. I love to see it. It was great to see that sort of attitude, that sort of physicality, that sort of intensity from someone on the Packers defense. Because those sorts of efforts have been few and far between this year. And seeing Jair Alexander do it against a good player, against a good quarterback in in Josh Allen, that was encouraging to see. Not a moral victory, I will be careful to say, but still encouraging to see. And nice to see that someone on the Packers defense could get up and be intense and, and at least take care of his own business, even if the Packers defense as a whole didn't do all that much. So we regroup. Three and five, the Packers try to figure things out. We'll see if they're able to stop the bleeding in Detroit next week against the one-win Lions. And if they can't get it done against Detroit, then we might need to have some real conversations about what the rest of the season looks like for the Packers. Because at three and six, 
the odds are getting pretty, pretty long. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.